Good day, everybody, and well, good day. Who oh, cares? Good day. Welcome to the Metal Hammer Podcast, episode one, two, two. Uh, I am Mo. I'm here with El. How you doing, El? Good day, Merlin Alderslade. <laughs> good day to you too. How are you doing in these strange times? <laughs> I thought we'd stopped that now, have we not? Uh, my email suggests otherwise, quite frankly. Uh, I'm fine. It's going to be a little bit of a shorter podcast today. We've just come off a pretty brutal deadline here on Mount Hammer Magazine, but it's all good. We've put together a banger of a new issue for you, which we're going to unveil in a couple of weeks, but it does mean we've still got a few bits to polish off. Uh, so we're not going to do an album of the week this week, but we are going to field some of your questions and talk about some of the stuff that's been going on. Uh, don't forget as well that the latest issue of Metal Hammer, of course, is still out right now. It's a tribute to the year 2000, one of the greatest and craziest years in metal history. We've got big features on all the essential albums that came out in that year, all the big stories that mattered and shaped that, mate, that mental 12 months in metal uh, and all the crazy characters that made up the metal scene in that time as well. It features an awesome cover feature by L about White Pony by Deftones. We have a world exclusive interview with Deftones about that album, which was so instrumental in their career and so important in the evolution of metal itself as well. It's a great feature. Uh, and on top of all that, the cover is all nice and shiny and it looks lovely. So if that all sounds like a bit of you, you should go and pick that issue up right now. It's in shops, uh, but you can also, of course, pick it up online from tinyurl.com slash buyhammer. And uh, through that link, you can also find out ways to subscribe. We've always got good subscription deals going on. And uh, there's ways you can get it downloaded straight to your device. You can get individual issues sent to you um, through your device as well. It's all on there. So uh, yeah, we appreciate your support very, very much in these strange times. Uh, Ennio Morricone died earlier this week. That is a big one. Um, he was, of course, the legendary Italian composer behind scores for films such as The Good and Bad and The Ugly, Once Upon a Time in the West. Uh, he did The Hateful Eight, of course, recently with Quentin Tarantino. And most pertinently to my taste and many, many horror fans' tastes, he did the score for the greatest, in my opinion, the greatest horror film ever made, John Carpenter's The Thing. Incredible film with an amazing, scary, claustrophobic, minimalist score that uh, Ennio Morricone did. Um, but of course, on top of all that, many metal fans will know him as the man behind the ecstasy of gold, which is the iconic song taken from the good, the bad and the ugly that Metallica have used as an intro track for their live shows since very early on in the 80s, right at the start of their career, pretty much. Uh, yeah, one absolute legend. And uh, James Hetfield from Metallica paid tribute as well this week. He put out a statement that said, the day we first played the ecstasy of gold as our new intro in 1983, it was magic. It has become a part of our blood flow, deep breathing, fist bumping, prayers and band huddle pre-show ritual ever since. I have sung that melody thousands of times to warm up my throat before hitting the stage. Thank you, Ennio, for pumping us up, being a part of our inspiration and a bonding between band, crew and fan. I will forever think of you as part of the Metallica family. What some lovely words those are from James Hetfield. And uh, yeah, what an amazing, amazing artist Ennio Morricone was. Yeah, it's a really nice tribute. I think, you know, we all know that intro and it's just become so iconic. So it's a really nice tribute that they paid. Um, I just wanted to pay tribute to somebody else who have sadly lost as well. John Gannon, who's a very influential DJ in the Manchester scene. Uh, I grew up in Manchester going to club nights where he was the main DJ. So there was Rockworld or Jilly's Rockworld in Manchester, uh, Monday Night at the Ritz. 
And through, it was only through these nights, really, that I found out what metal was. And I discovered all these amazing bands that I love today and that I'm working at Metal Hammer today. And it was really, um, you know, his sets had like a massive influence on me and the whole of my late teenage years and early 20s. And if you were in Manchester at the time and you were at all alternative or into rock and metal, you would have danced to his uh, sets like many, many times. Um, we didn't know each other personally, but um, yeah, I would run over and request stuff all the time. And it, yeah, it's, it's a loss to the Manchester scene because he's just brought so much to so many people. So um, there's a lovely tribute to him actually on the Manchester Evening News website. So I'd go and give that a read. Oh, nice. Yeah, I mean, I... I, I having not grown up in that scene, I wasn't massively familiar with John, but having since visited Manchester many, many times and, and gone to the metal scene there, it's such a vital part of um, not just the alternative scene across England, but like just Manchester's nightlife and culture. It's just such a big thing. Like Satan's Hollow is arguably the most iconic metal uh, club in, in England. So that's pretty cool. I'll make sure to go and read that myself. Uh, other things that have been going on this week. Um, have you seen this this new arena that's opening in Newcastle, the UK's first dedicated socially distanced music venue, um, the Virgin Money Unity Arena? <laughs> Nothing says togetherness like Virgin Money. Uh, will open this summer at Newcastle's Gosford Park. Um, what do you think about this? Have you seen Have you seen how this looks like? There's some concept art that's out there. You can see it on the Metal Hammer. Yeah, I think. I mean, like, got people on platforms and stuff. It's quite an interesting setup. I think I shared this in our chat group. We have like a, an office Slack group, and I was like, "It's a really weird like rendering. It almost looks like the people are little aliens standing on all these little platforms." Um, and yeah, the name, the Virgin Money Unity Arena, is not particularly um, catchy or artsy. But having said that, it does look like it would work. You have a certain amount of people per platform, everybody's spaced out. And if it's a way to get music and entertainment to people, then I am in. Definitely. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see how that works. I don't really, I think we have a question about this later, actually. So maybe we'll go into more detail then. Yeah. I don't really have an issue with, um, with the idea in theory of kind of, you know, having platforms with you which you and a few people or you and your mates or however it's going to work kind of stay in um, it does mean the atmosphere is not going to be quite the same i'm still i still can't work out how financially it's going to work because it's going to be inevitably significantly less people significantly fewer people um in the kind of uh, in the arena in the venue than it would have been otherwise so does that mean the ticket prices are going to be much more or it's probably a clue in the name of the venue, the Virgin Money Unity Arena. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> I no, maybe right. I went on the website and there are a series of sponsors aside from Virgin along the bottom. So I expect it's some kind of heavily corporate backed thing. But yeah, I'd imagine ticket prices would have to be higher than usual even to just cover running costs because you're still going to have to have staff to work it. And, you know, it's it sounds, I don't know what the capacity is, but it looks from the image and it sounds from the name that it's fairly big yeah capacity of 12 no i'm joking it's it, it looks like <laughs> it's really, really big and it yeah it's an interesting idea i certainly am not against uh the thought of experiencing a gig like that um but uh, yeah like you said anything that can get live music moving again anything that can kind of bring that gig culture back has got got to be a good thing in the long run because we need those gigs we need them to come back and i'm sure they will properly eventually 
And uh, speaking of which, in fact, uh, Parkway Drive have moved. I think we kind of suspected this might happen. Parkway Drive have moved their their big European tour to next spring. Uh, that's the one that includes Wembley Arena. I mean, that should have happened by now, shouldn't it? That was supposed to be in April, wasn't it originally? Yeah, I think that would have been in Grand by now. I can't remember the exact dates, but no, um, it was supposed to be a few cool months. It's cool because now you can start putting things in the calendar. You know, you can open up your calendar for next year and go. I'm going to pack it with stuff. Put exactly. some dates in there. Exactly. I mean, yeah, hopefully, uh, however the whole pandemic thing pans out, we do, we do kind of get to a point in spring next year where we can do gigs again and they are as we remember them, or at least with certain uh, precautions in place. Um, because it's that Wembley Parkway show is such an important gig for them and an important gig for the you know this generation of metal, really. A band like Parkway getting to do Wembley uh, with Hatebreed and Crystal Lake as support as well, two killer bands. Um, that's just going to be such a good night out and will definitely be something I'll be looking forward to. Uh, and yeah, I'm quite excited about just filling up my calendar now. I've bought my first few tickets for gigs um, uh, and I'm starting to kind of put stuff in the calendar. I was supposed to be going to see, I think the biggest, the single biggest thing I was most gutted about getting cancelled this year was in about two weeks, I was supposed to be going to see Iron Maiden in Barcelona with my mates, which is peak me. And I was very excited about but um, we've all started to kind of get money back for flights now. And now we're like, like, right, next year, next year. It's been rescheduled for next year. So let's start thinking about that. So 2021, man, it's going to be our year. Well, Partway Drive have added Berlin and Prague as well. And when I saw that, I'm like, oh, maybe I could go and see them in like Berlin or something. That would be cool. I think, I feel like we've asked, we've, we would have talked about this before because I went to the Prague, I went to the Prague, I went to Prague for the first time last year. But have you been there before? I really need to go to Prague. I've got a friend there who keeps offering me her spare room. So there's literally no excuse for me not to go. And I want to go and see the Bone Church as well. So I need to get that. It is the coolest city. And I was the only thing I regret about it was that I was there for three nights with my mates and none of them were super keen to do the Bone Church. Um, literally, that's the best thing, surely. I know, but it's, it's one of those where it's such a nice city and you kind of want to just... Like we were there for Metallica. So one day was the gig one day was getting there and you kind of want a day to look around. So you don't really, it's kind of like, are you going to take half your time of one yes. day to go out of town? Next yes. time I'm going to do it. Looking, it. One day to look around means one day to look around at the bone church. <laughs> yeah, it looks amazing. It really looks amazing. And I got to say, if you do go to Prague and anyone goes to Prague, go to nightmare bar. Cause it's the coolest bar I've ever been to. It's a horror metal bar. Um, need I say more? It's so, so good. Uh, but yeah, Parkway Drive at Wembley next year, man. I'm so glad that's got rear remains. I'm glad they're looking forward to making it happen. Um, that's going to be a huge night for metal uh, in the metal calendar. All good stuff going on. Shall we, uh, shall we go and answer some questions from our lovely readers? I guess we could, can we? Let's do it. As I say, we're not doing an album of the week this week. We haven't really had time to properly get into uh, some of the stuff that's coming out. Um, I know there's an Inter Armour covers album. So if you like the idea of Inter Armour covering stuff like Nine Inch Nails and uh, Purple Rain by Prince, um, I have listened to some of that. It is as nuts as it sounds. That's probably worth your time. Um, We've been listening to quite a lot of new music between the two of us as well. We could just throw out a few names. I've been listening to the band Spirit Box, all one word. Uh, they're from Canada and they're like a tech metal band who are really cool. They've got a song out at the moment called Holy Roller. Spirit um, Box, eh? Spirit Box. That's, uh, yeah, basically just been rinsing them. Oh, okay. Yeah, I mean, uh, if, if we want to talk about a band that I've literally just listened to for the first time today, that we'll probably go into more detail on when the album comes in a few weeks. 
um, there's this Kenyan grindcore band called Duma, who just popped up in my in my um, inbox earlier. And um, this isn't a cheap Twitter plug, but I just honestly don't know how to to uh, to kind of describe it. But either look at the uh, look at the thing I posted on my Twitter, or just go to YouTube and type in Duma D U M A Lion's Blood. Um, it's got some heavy flashing images at the end. I should just say as a kind of a, a, tr- a potential trigger warning, but um, it's an unbelievably cool video, and it just sounds absolutely insane. It's this kind of like industrial techno um, mashup nightmare of noise uh, that I'm really, really excited about. Um, I've literally only heard that one track, but um, I was so excited about it. I just went and tweeted about it straight away. So They're not messing around. They are not messing around. It is. It is proper. It is proper. Uh, so yeah, that's two. That's two recommendations. There you go. It counts, right? <laughs> I think but it counts. It's we've still done music. a music journalism. <laughs> <laughs> I'll do a question, shall I? Go on, then. All right. Ben Jardine asks. This is very simple. Oasis or Blur? Ooh. I mean, I know your answer. Yeah, you, you know my answer. My answer is Oasis all day long. I think. Um, I think Blur are great. I saw them at Glastonbury 2009 or I saw, I saw a bit of their set and then I went to see some of the Prodigy. Um, they've got loads of great songs, obviously. I've always found that I don't think that band are as clever as people say they are or people seem to think they are. Like People kind of often seem to treat Blur like they're the kind of connoisseur's choice of the Britpop thing over Oasis and I disagree with that entirely. I think that as much as Blur were a really cool band in their own right, um, they never wrote a song like What's the Story, Morning Glory. They never wrote a song like, do you know what I mean? Um, like they never wrote a song like um, Live Forever. Um, like Oasis, I, I know Oasis, uh, you know, the Gallagher brothers are a couple of dickheads, aren't they really? But like, we know this and we kind of accept this a lot of the time, but fuck me, some of those songs, man, unbelievable unbelievable some like those first two or three oasis albums is so so good and i know that a lot of the culture that kind of came out of that led to a lot of crap watered down brit pop slash indie bands but for me oasis I, I love it man i saw them at glastonbury one year as well and they weren't even that good but the crowd was so good it just made it one of the coolest gigs ever so i am hardline absolute oasis what about you well when the actual chart battle was happening you had to pick, obviously, at school. It was really important that you picked Country House or Roll With It. I remember actually being on, like, a really rubbish school bus going on a trip somewhere. And it wasn't even a good trip. I think we were driving into Manchester to look at housing or something. Anyway, it was, like, a rubbish trip. So I remember, like, I was having a big discussion about it. And I was totally down on the blur side because I just thought Country House was, like, a good pop song that you could sort of sing along to whereas oasis was just kind of like laddie rubbish and it was just like oh it's just a load of lads like drinking beer being annoying whereas country house is actually something that i would sort of put on and sing to and stuff but like definitely as a teenager that was my choice but now i think it's really hard to um choose blur over oasis because oasis got so much bigger, had so many more hits. Those songs have endured so much more than Blur songs. I think like now I'd have to pick Oasis. Sorry, Blur. Interesting. Yeah. And the mankin you has to choose Oasis, surely. That's, just, <laughs> right. that's how it works. Um, yeah, that's a good point. Uh, 
God, you know what? I totally forgotten that Country House existed because I was watching um, the Blur highlights that they showed over Glastonbury weekend from the year that I saw them um, when they did the Glasgow weekend there a couple of weekends back. And, um, you know, you know, I kind of, again, saying someone who was absolutely Oasis all day long, I was still watching that going, God, Blur have so many good songs though. And I can't remember if they played Country House. I don't think they did. Well, they didn't show that song anyway. Complete- oh, actually, yeah. Blur, you just reminded me about good songs. Blur did Coffee and TV and they had the Milk Carton video. That's a great song. That's probably my oh. favourite um, Blur song, actually, I reckon. The Milk Carton video is amazing. Uh, yeah, that's amazing. Uh, oh, maybe two, maybe I should go back and actually pick Blur. <laughs> I mean, they did a lot of bangers as well. Song 2, Girls and Boys, uh, Park Life, Beetlebum, like loads I of I hated Beetlebum. All the other ones are great, but Beetlebum, I think just thought was so awful and droning and boring i think probably i started to sort of drift away from that kind of music fairly quickly yeah that's understandable but then you know i mean i'm literally just looking at spotify here but you then you look at oasis wonderwall don't look back in anger stop crying your heart i'll stand by me champagne supernova live forever half the world away she's electric supersonic don't go away my two favorite oasis songs aren't even on that list like that's that's a ridiculous hit rate i think oasis do win Oasis win, but Blur get points for Country House and the Coffee and TV Milk video. Very fair. And I should say as well that a lot of people hated Oasis's um, Be Here Now album because that's when they kind of just got super like coked up and kind of uh, Noel Gallagher was saying, oh, I want to write songs like Slash and all this kind of stuff. And I think that album's great. I love the fact that it's completely overblown and ridiculous. I love the fact there's a helicopter sound at the beginning of Do You Know What I Mean? Like, I love it. I think they I think they reached peak oasis ridiculousness on that album. I don't love the fact that it just gave loads of people an excuse to act like twats though. Like you'd just be, I don't know, on a train and there'd just be like a load of football fans just like singing it or like I don't know, people that were vaguely threatening. I know, yeah. <laughs> That's the most it, middle class white girl thing to say, but it did like it did in some sense just promote like the really annoying laddie culture stuff which was yeah. really annoying to be around it definitely helped shape the worst side of lad culture from in the 90s but i mean yeah. it's weird because like i said when i was at when i saw him at glastonbury um glastonbury is a festival where like all sorts go all sorts of people from like you know pretty much all walks and and, and everything else but you know you could definitely send some more like laddie presence at oasis that night but it was like i don't know if i've ever seen such a kind of pure and primal outpouring of gig emotion than I have at Oasis. I know that seems like a mad thing to say, but like fully grown blokes. Um, some and that was a that was a was that a World Cup year or a, that was either a World Cup year or a Euros year, and they were showing some of the football on the TV. And so there were even some blokes in like football kits um, who like were like whipping them off, hugging each other, crying. Like it was it was it was quite affecting actually. It was proper like I know it sounds like some people's version of hell, but. But that's because in that lad culture period, you weren't allowed to express emotion except if you're being a lad and football was your main outlet. So that's just yeah, kind of what, why that stuff all went together. Football and Oasis. Toxic masculinity. <laughs> Two things like, well, yeah, I love Oasis. Let's reclaim Oasis and uh, I love football as well. So, you know, I'm joking. Reclaiming... I'm half joking. You know me, I like to reclaim the word lad for good things. Um... <laughs> Yeah, Oasis, Oasis win then. All right, Oasis, Oasis win. Resoundingly so, I think, between us two. Uh, Sam Welch asks, we should talk about some metal, shouldn't we, really? 
Following on from your Mount New Metal Rushmore discussion last week, uh, if you missed that, someone asked us to make a new metal of um, a Mount Rushmore of new metal. Sorry, you can go back and hear that on last week's show. Uh, Downloads Andy Copping asks you to book the main stage at Download for one day only. You pick a 90s slash new metal theme. Who plays and what day do you pick? Bands can reform, but you're not allowed to bring any artists back from the dead. So that's Sam Welsh that asks that. All right, Elsa, what day is your 90s new metal day and who's on it? I'm picking Friday night because it's the first proper night. It's very exciting. Everyone's hyped. Everyone's got energy. It's a good night. And I have gone new metal rather than 90s slash new metal because for me, 90s opens up too many floodgates. So I just kind of narrowed it down to pure new metal. Although one band, which I'll talk about in a minute, you could say a borderline. So there's a bit of a theme going on. So I'll just say the bands and then I'll say what it is. So it would start with Orgy and then it would be... <laughs> okay. <laughs> Then it will be Static X, Papa Roach, Limp Bizkit, Disturbed, Deftones, which is the one that's kind of borderline. They don't like to think of themselves as new metal, but I just sort of snuck them in there. And then headlined by Korn. Wow, okay. So it's like a super new metal set. I think Static X are on the border as well, though. I don't know if I'd call Static X new metal, to be honest. Oh, they'll definitely wear Anyway, there's a theme. Oh, I don't know about that. That's a conversation for another time. But the theme is Queen of the Damned. So, oh, of course. Apart from Limp Bizkit, which I just shoved in because I thought it'd be fun. They're just they're just shoved in for fun, really. So yeah, so you've got, and so all the bands would have to play the songs, and then at the end, when Corn headlines, um, Jonathan Davis would sing his songs with the people that did the vocals on them. So you'd have Static X doing Cold, Papa Roach doing Dead Cell, Disturbed doing Down With The Sickness, Deftones doing Change. And then when Corn played, you'd get Forsaker with, Forsaken with David Draymond, Slept So Long with Jay Gordon from Orgy. And then I figure that like Chino could maybe sing the song that Chester Bennington sings on in the film, because obviously he's sadly no longer with us. Mm. Um, that was System. Um, and yeah, then you could also throw in a couple of others with guest vocalists if you wanted to, but it's basically a new metal queen of the damned theme set. That is awesome. I love how well curated that is. Um, I would a hundred percent go to that and have a lovely time. Mine is, mine's a bit fucked because mine's all new metal, but then I just couldn't think of a band to headline because for me, corn on headline in my festival. Like, I mean, don't get me wrong. I'd love to see a corn headline set. In fact, I have seen corn headline in Chicago open air and it was brilliant, but I just thought like I could fit a bigger band on top to really cap it off. Um, and I was a bit torn, but I'll get to that. Um, I couldn't think of a band low enough with enough songs that weren't like one hit one, the new metal bands to open it up. So I've just got me DJ and new metal one hit wonders to open it up. You've got yourself on the download bill on the main well, stage. Because that that way you get to hear Spine Shank, you get to hear A, you get to hear POD, you get to hear the Union Underground, you get to hear Edema. <laughs> I'm going to play them all. So it'll get everyone in the mood. It means that you don't have to put up with all those bands' crappy back catalogues. You just get the hits. So I'm starting this thing, DJing a new metal set on the main stage. Fucking hell. It's not drawing a big crowd, that is it. You could have at least picked like Sid Wilson or something, DJ Star. I don't know a Sid Wilson DJ. No, not having that. Uh, 
And then uh, next up, it's American Hedgehogs doing a War of Art set. Oh, that would be great. One of the most underrated uh, albums of the new metal era. Great album um, and a very cool band that, uh, yeah, could have probably been a lot bigger than they were. Um, then I do actually have Spine Shank. I just mentioned them in the DJ set. So I wouldn't play any Spine Shank because they're playing. They had a couple of good albums, especially The Height of Callousness. So mostly stuff off that. Then I've got Papa Roach doing an Infest set with Greatest Hits at the end. Uh, then I've got Limp Biscuit, Of course, Limp Biscuit are on there. Then I've got Corn, And then headlining, I would put an offer out to System of a Down, even though they're not, you know, purely new metal at all. Um, I'd put an offer out to System of a Down, but they would have to prove in the run-up to download that they could actually deliver the goods live because they've been very shaky on and off live over the years in recent times. I'm not having that run of party bands and having System turn up on stage and be like, mm. so like it's in their contract. They have to be good. And if it looks like their contract isn't being fulfilled, I'm going to withdraw System of a Down and I'm booking Rage Against the Machine instead. Oh, I'd say just book Rage. Come on. Yeah, and I don't think Rage will be sitting there waiting for me to, <laughs> to like, <laughs> let them in at the last minute. Um, Rage don't really fit that bill other than the fact that they're a 90s band. And I just think even though obviously it would be very politicized and emotional and passionate, it will still bring those big fucking fun party vibes as well that I think will top the night off night nicely. So yeah, that'll be mine. That's my download. I'm enjoying All it. All right, I'd go. Oh, thanks, mate. Uh, you could do the next one. Go on. All right. Matt Heeks asks, when things get back to normal, do you think that special live stream shows continue or will bands just drop them because they're able to tour again? Personally, I hope they stick around. I think they're going to stick around. I think. I hope uh, they do stick around. We've got this big trivium one coming this weekend and I'm genuinely excited to see that because from what it looks like, the way they're going to be producing it and stuff, it's not going to feel like being at a gig. It's going to be feeling like almost like it's going to be well, I don't want to paraphrase what they've said, but if it's anything like the Cavell attack one, basically, where it had like different camera angles and pyro and stuff, but with even more production than that, it will feel like almost being inside a music video or something. Do you know what I mean? As opposed yeah, I to- hope they stick around too, because not only have they just been good during this period, it does allow bands to do things a bit differently. You know, you can have a show somewhere and get it out to thousands of people across the world. Even if bands would just do like, one show on a tour or something it doesn't necessarily mean that your sales are going to suffer but it means a whole new group of people can be brought in again if you're in a different country or you can't get to the venue for some reason or whatever reason it is if you can't make it it gives you another chance to watch it and participate in it which is great it really just opens things up a bit more so i really hope bands keep them as well definitely and and if i think about you know the potential for what bands could do with this. Um, I mean, obviously they can't do like a whole different set every single night for a week because that's too many songs to practice. But if like, say a band like, I don't know, that I love different eras of like Metallica or AFI or someone like that. Say if they were like, they're going to do one show a week for a month and each week they're going to play a different album or they're going to do different songs or they're going to do rarities or something and you kind of have to buy a ticket to each one of those i would buy the tickets i would buy the merch for it you know i think um it's a really good way of just engaging people and um like i said the reason i referenced the trivium one is because i'm really excited about that on friday because i feel like that's going to be um 
yeah, I really want to see those new songs live. And I know that I can't see them in an actual gig, but getting to see them in this format is a slightly different experience that I'm really looking forward to. So I hope they stick around. It's going to be a while yet before gigs are back to normal or anything like normal. So I think by the time they are back to normal, fans will have sussed out this whole streaming thing so well that I think it will benefit everybody for them to stick around because it will be really a good, new, interesting, engaging revenue stream. And uh, we all want bands to have those, so that's good. Yeah, I feel like before this all happened, there was some scepticism about whether people would be willing to pay for content like this. And I think this is proof that people will. Definitely, definitely. And, um, you know, I mean, me and you talk about this all the time. Now, like, we, we've been buying merchandise and all the rest of it. It's so important to support bands through this time. Obviously, everyone's in the shit right now, so everyone needs support in their own way. But... Um, as we've seen from the Let the Music Play movement that happened a couple of weeks back, the arts in general are so important, not just to you know, our hobbies and stuff, but to our mental health, to the economy, to the fabric of society. And um, you know, we need artists and uh, creators to, to keep going. So hopefully this is going to be a really, hopefully this whole thing is the start of people finding loads of new ways for us to do that, which is exciting to me uh matt heeks asks we oh no, sorry we just did that you <laughs> idiot merlin stupid twat uh jan ryland asks uh we kind of talked a bit about this do you think the recently announced virgin money unity arena just gets catchier every time you say it in newcastle is going to be a success would you personally buy a ticket to see a socially distanced gig in such a setting what what bands if they were going to announce tomorrow for that venue would you be like yeah i'm buying that I don't know. It has to. Well, it has to be. It's difficult, isn't it? Because it's probably going to be UK-based bands because of the travelling issues, and also I don't think realistically I'm going to travel to Newcastle because it's quite far away from London. So, and again, not having a car as we've talked about before, it's going to involve like a long train journey and then public transport. Not that long now. So you can get to Newcastle in like just under three hours from London if you get the right train. Yeah, it just seems like. I don't know. It just seems like a long journey that's going to be pretty expensive. You're talking probably a hundred quid for that kind of journey. And then once you get there, probably more than that, to be honest. (laughs) Yeah. And then once you get there, um, you know, you're going to have to stay overnight as well. So you're talking a hundred quid plus for a train ticket and then up to a hundred quid for like a travel lodge or something. I'll drive us out. I can drive now. (laughs) I'll drive us. Sit in the back. You'll have to sit in the back, both on mask, windows down to kind of air out the car get rid of the viral load and uh just spit the petrol money it'll be fine if you're gonna drive and we're gonna sleep in the car then we could do it <laughs> you're sleeping in the fucking car my car is not big enough for two people to sleep in you're gonna have to drive back then at like midnight that's fine i can do eight hours of driving in a day i've done up to about half an hour so far so that's not gonna be a big stretch that's, that's totally fine so yeah i think realistically like getting to the virgin money unity arena in newcastle might be a bit of a push for us but theoretically, I would go to a venue like that. If, of- if one opened up in London then, because it's kind of like, it's more of a theoretical point, I think, rather than Newcastle. Yeah, totally. I know. I, I, yeah, I would go to a, a place like that. I'm trying to think of which bands I'd want to see. Um, if it's any of my favourite bands, really, I would. But there's one thing for me that would make it a little bit difficult. I'd want to be able to know that I could choose my position in the arena because... I've spoken about this before, but I've got tinnitus. So for me, I have to know that I can move away 
from the front of the stage and away from the speakers if it's causing me an issue because sometimes it's so loud that it can kind of spike my tinnitus up and agitate my ear so from it, like mentally as well I need to know that I've got somewhere to go if it's all getting a bit too much and the feeling that I was trapped on a platform it right in front of the stage and right in front of the speakers would be really distressing for me and might aggravate my tinnitus so I'd want to be able to choose seats towards the back um so that's you know that's kind of a big issue for me and I'm sure other people have got issues we haven't really thought of with you know in terms of accessibility and logistics and all kinds of other things so yeah but if I could if it was in London and if I could choose where I sat and I could choose to like get a platform sort of towards the back of it um I would go cool so just move the move the structure 500 <laughs> miles down the country and <laughs> change the change the whole setup of it and we'll go that's the deal it's um, not the whole setup it's just the ticketing i would just want yeah. to pick i wouldn't want it to be automatic automatically allocated i imagine you can pick because uh it's you know you can pick your seats when you pick seats in an arena exactly yeah uh, yeah i mean I'll, I'll go i want to do it i'm mulling over again i've, ju- I've just started um taking up driving again after 10 years so i'm finding it uh finding my feet as it were but um i'm mulling over going to the skin dread gig in milton Keynes because that's not too far from where i am um i know it's a slightly different thing but it's a similar vibe um yeah i, I actually really i kind of at that age now where you know I'm, I'm sorry to ruin the mystique but i'm not really throwing myself into mosh pits and crowd surfing every 10 seconds uh, as much as i was when i'm at gigs so actually the idea of me and my mates being on our own platform not like a yaya vip way but just a kind of nice bit of space and stuff um just to kind of enjoy the gig with a few beers i don't actually hate that but obviously it's going to be lacking in atmosphere with so fewer people actually there together um so that's going to be weird but like i said earlier if we if anything that gets music on a stage again i'm willing to give a go it might be weird, but it might feel a bit like watching it on TV because you're sort of removed from it. It's like the same thing we've spoken about a bit before when you get bands that play a whole album in full and it sometimes feels like you kind of sat down and put the record on. I imagine it could feel a little bit like that, but yeah, again, I'll take it. Yeah, we'll take it. Why not? Uh, let's do one more, shall we? Sure. <laughs> I just realised that you meant I should ask the question. That's fine. It was a very subtle cue, sorry. Daniel Pleiters asks, do you think the metal elitists are the reason why metal has become irrelevant in the mainstream for the past 15 plus years? It's probably part of it. Um, if you look at... Oh, it's a hard one, isn't it? I mean, it's not. It's, I mean, some people might hear a question like that and think, "Well, metal's not irrelevant." And it, and but you know, if you actually look at where pretty much every other major genre that's as big as metal is is currently at, um, you know, who are the what are the biggest like uh, what are the biggest kind of artists that will be releasing new hip hop albums in recent years? You're looking at people like Kendrick Lamar and Travis Scott. Um, and uh you know post malone and a lot of the mumble rap guys uh you look at like pop music who are the biggest people in pop music you know this year it's like ariana grande and now it's like billy eilish and you know these are all like modern names this is now same with dance music as well like modern djs are always kind of the biggest thing in that in any given genre 
And then you look at the equivalent of metal and the biggest albums are always by bands like Slipknot, Metallica, Iron Maiden, Avenged, bands that have been around for at least 15 years, in most cases, 20 plus years, um, et cetera, et cetera. So metal is definitely not a, uh, a kind of major concern in the mainstream right now. I don't know. It's a lot of things, isn't it? I mean, the, the elitism thing doesn't help because you do have to wonder how bands like Trivium and even, dare I say, Bullet for My Valentine might have done in the grand scheme of things if there wasn't kind of a bit of a backlash to them at the time. Um, certainly at the moment, like, I think Bring Me The Horizon are almost a bit of an exception to the rule because as much as the elitism around them got a bit boring, it wasn't too surprising that people backlash because they were fucking rubbish when they first turned up. Uh, but yeah, it feels like, I mean, you look at a band like Ghost, they just, they're the best thing in, in heavy music for me right now in terms of being something exciting, something big, something that's got a lot of potential to do huge things. And people get so fucking angry about them still. It's a vocal minority, but it's a very noisy one, isn't it? Yeah, I think it's a really difficult question because everything's kind of all intertwined with each other. But I think metal, you know, on a basic level, metal's a harsh form of music that a lot of people don't understand. Sometimes I'll play stuff to friends who aren't into metal and I'll play stuff that I think is actually quite a soft introduction and they'll immediately be like, oh, I can't listen to this. Like, it's too harsh, it's too loud, it's too screamy, whatever. So, And I think when you're in the scene and you listen to metal all the time, you forget that about it really you forget that for most people listening to it can be unpleasant because they're not used to it and they think it's too harsh and i think that is a really difficult thing when it comes to the mainstream because not only do you have people reacting that way they don't really understand what kind of place it comes from or why people might want to sing in that way or sing about heavier lyrical themes so there's like quite a lot of barriers to entry and on that front i think from people's preconceptions and people's first reactions and obviously new metal was so successful because they combined the kind of more harsh tropes of metal with pop choruses basically and kind of got metal in under the table and then as it got bigger and bigger those metalers were hanging out with other mainstream celebrities from other parts of the culture so it was easy for them to just become part of the fabric of it and even if people thought it was a bit of a novelty it was almost welcomed you know you get metalers coming on tv shows and people would find it kind of like funny like oh here's a metal guy like this is a bit of a novelty and it was sort of more entertained that way but as that trend wound down and other forms of music became more popular metal just kind of fell off the scale a bit really and i think it's gone back into that realm of sort of people not really understanding what it is or not really hearing it before and the elitism thing i think that definitely puts people off wanting to know more if yeah, they're curious definitely. about something um and that's a that's a really big thing that sort of gatekeeping thing because if you're curious about something and then someone kind of puts you off it or says it's not for you you're not really gonna investigate it so yeah kind of a mixed thing really it's it would be better if metal was more mainstream because it would mean there was more money coming into it and bands would be better supported and new talent would be able to kind of rise up more easily so I think it's just kind of a mixture of like trends and tastes um, and people just not knowing what to do with it, not knowing what box to put it in and where it comes from. Yeah. But I mean, I mean, new metal was such a, it was weird because I kind of in the nineties, you had artists like Rob Zombie and Marilyn Manson that were kind of, and you know, you could put Trent Reznor in that as well, probably like that were kind of 
crossing into the mainstream consciousness because like alternative culture kind of went mainstream yeah. and, it, and, and it has now but in a different way like now it's been co-opted so you can buy slayer t-shirts in fucking boohoo or whatever which is a slightly different thing but like culture itself seemed to become a bit crazy and mainstream and like fashion just went totally off its tits and all this stuff was going on and metal kind of came in on that but i mean even before all that you know iron maiden had number one single in the 80s um like and that was a bit of a um, unusual thing for them, but it still happened. Obviously, Metallica went supernova in the nineties. Um, Pantera and Slipknot got number one albums when they were kind of at their heaviest. Um, and so, I don't know if the whole he- like obviously, you know, if I just got to my mates that don't like metal at all and go, "Hey, listen to this Code Orange song," they're probably not going to be into it. But I definitely feel like something's there that's stopping that getting through because I think. You know, you look at Code Orange, they're probably the best example. They're the most interesting and forward-thinking significant band we've got in the metal scene right now. They're assigned to Roadrunner who broke all these huge bands in the 90s and 80s. Um, And they're a brilliant band and they're exciting, but they don't feel like they're kind of, you know, they're not a 50th the size that Slipknot were in 2001, but they're the kind of closest thing we've got to that. But I don't think they're any heavier than that. So it's like a... I was just going to say, yeah, you have to know what metal is, which is a problem. And like you said about alternative culture, you had stuff like The Matrix, which was massive and bringing the fashion and music into the mainstream and like soundtracks like The Crow and even stuff like Buffy the Vampire Slayer, they would have the Bronx and like the more indie side of things, but it was still alternative culture. And now I think it's really hard. Like if you are growing up now, how do you even know that metal exists? Like literally, what are you going to consume? You know, what are you going to read? or see a watch that is going to tell you that metal exists. And then when, if you do find out that metal exists and there's just a ton of people talking about something you don't understand and yeah, maybe people gatekeeping or making crappy comments online, are you then going to think, Oh yeah, this is for me. Or are you just going to not bother with it? Yeah. It's really weird. And it, but it's interesting the way people do consume metal because yeah, there's no MTV. Well, there is MTV, but it shows the fucking Kardashians or whatever. Um, There's no like, you know, there are music, channels but they're not it's not as prevalent now you're not getting metal kind of put on those platforms and and you know it's hard it's hard for everyone in the industry it's very difficult for download to go and just put someone like ghost or bring the horizon headlining because they will sell significantly less tickets on that day that's just a fact um in the same way that if we put a young band on the cover of metal hammer as a monthly magazine we have to make sure that the rest of our year is kind of structured around that so that we can make up for what will be a big loss of sales it's it's a long-term game and it's one that we're still playing now that we you know we've got plans for younger artists that we want to put on the cover and we're going to put on the cover like you're going to see some of these artists on the cover of metal hammer for the first time in the coming months we've got those plans in place but um, it's it's not this. It's just not the same world that it was in 2005. By the time a band gets to the point where we're like, oh, we might put them on the cover of Metal Hammer, you know, that's not the same as what Trivium were doing in 2005 when they were drawing like tens upon tens of thousands of people to download on the main stage. You know, it's just not the same scene anymore. I wouldn't say Metal Elitists are the reason why metals become irrelevant in the mainstream because I think there's a huge amount of different factors at play, like we just spoke about. But I definitely say it just doesn't help. Like there's literally no need to be an elitist. If you think something doesn't belong or you don't like it, 
you don't have to engage with it like why put other people off something that they might enjoy it just doesn't really make any sense just leave it alone yeah especially when actually on the face of it it's never been easier to get into metal from the point of view that like you know even though it's quite far down their algorithm when you look at it metal has a section on spotify so if you happen to hear like on a playlist or something or on a youtube playlist like a video um even through like shit like tiktok bands are breaking now like it's so interesting to see how bands are going viral in different ways now um if you discover a metal band it's so easy to go and then type that into spotify or, or other streaming yeah, totally. are available um, and uh and and kind of then go down that rabbit hole of discovering all this stuff it's easier than ever because for us when we grew up it was like, oh, this is cool. I like this music video. Oh, I've read about this in the magazine. I'm going to go buy this CD. And then I'm going to go buy another CD that might be the same thing or might not be. And that's my pocket money for the month. Whereas now it's like, you can listen to a hundred metal bands in a day without putting your phone down. It's it, so the, the potential is there. And we're seeing that potential come through with artists like Backwash, who we've talked about on the podcast. So he's like a trap rapper who uh, incorporates like Black Sabbath samples and Deftone Sonics into her sound. Um, so the, the generation is there in terms of taking metal to a wide audience. It's just, uh, it's going to be harder work than it was to get these artists and these bands to a position where they would have been 10 years ago, 20 years ago. It's having community spaces as well. You know, like I was talking earlier yeah. about John Gannon, the amazing DJ who um, did all these brilliant metal nights, you know, by going to listen to his sets at Rockworld or The Ritz, there were so many songs there that I just loved. And I didn't know what they all were because we didn't have Shazam or anything. And I couldn't find out what they all were, but I loved them all and gradually sort of found out who they were by, borrowed CDs from people, ripped CDs from people, talked to people, went to these clubs because I enjoyed the atmosphere, I enjoyed the people, I enjoyed the community. And it was a whole package of things, listening to a song, on Spotify that you've come across in a playlist can definitely open up opportunities, but then you kind of want to go and talk to someone about it and get excited with someone about it, which is why live shows are so important and all the rest of the infrastructure around it. You, you want to share something if you like it, you know? So again, if you're gatekeeping it, you're not sharing something you enjoy with someone. You're just being shitty about it. Definitely. And if, you know, I think our listeners and our readers and the people on our Facebook pages well, certainly the Readers Group Facebook page are all like, you know, really nice people. I love seeing the debates you guys are having. Um, and I can see people coming on and going, oh, who's heard of this band? Or, oh, where do I start with this band? And it's a really positive, empowering, yeah, totally. um, you know, uh, symbolism of what the metal scene should be like. But if for some reason you are hearing this and you, you're kind of thinking, oh, I am the kind of person that tends to be a bit smarky and elitist, which I've totally been as well in my time at points. Like if you see someone and they're like, hey, I like Bullet for Valentine or I like Killswitch or I like Metallica. We should not be going, oh, you like that? You think that's metal? Uh, duh, duh, duh. What we should be going is, oh, you cool, you like that. Wait till you hear this. Like bring people in and shut down elitism because it doesn't help anybody and you're not impressing anyone by going on a baby metal post on Facebook and posting smarmy comments on it. You're really not impressing anyone. So give it up. Losers. Uh, that is about it. <laughs> for this week's show uh we'll be back at full steam next week we're having a few days off this week at the end of this uh this deadline we've just finished off what are you gonna do Merlin? um well i'm gonna practice my driving some more um i live in hemel hempstead so i'm gonna drive all the way to st albans tomorrow because i hear there's a good record store there so i'm gonna go check out the record shop in st albans have a little browse there um and then i'm just gonna maybe i'll try 
I've got some video games I've been meaning to crack on with that I might give them a go. Maybe a bit of God of Thunder. I oh, know God of War, sorry, not God of Thunder. That's Thor. Uh, <laughs> maybe a bit of God of War or something like that. What about you? I'm going to walk to the park and go to the zoo and see the lemurs. I was thinking about going to my nearby zoo as well, but um, yeah, we can swap animal selfies and stuff. Yeah, totally. Happy days. Uh, all right, stay safe out there, everybody. Have a good time until we chat to you next. Don't forget to pick up the latest issue at home if you can. We really, really appreciate your support. And uh, please stay well in these strange times. Goodbye, everyone. Goodbye.